thought over our lectionary readings over the last week and was convinced that I was led to focus on the stories that our numbers reading and our mark readings have in common. Both our Old Testament reading and our gospel reading today include those who are the outliers, those who aren't in the club, those who aren't in the in-group, yet who are doing the work of the Lord. In Numbers, we have Eldad and Medad who are prophesying. In Mark, we have this unnamed man who is casting out demons in the name of Jesus. In Numbers, God's spirit comes to 70 elders who represent the people. They begin to prophesy. There are two other men who aren't in the group. They aren't in the 70, and they begin to prophesy, and somebody complains. And Moses says, I wish everybody prophesied. In Mark, John says, Someone's casting out demons who isn't following us, which is an interesting phrase. Whoever this person is is obviously following Jesus, but John's concerned he's not following us. And Jesus effectively says the same as Moses. I wish everybody were casting out demons in my name. The narrative is clear, and the stories are obviously connected. And I tried to come up with something, and I ended up with a muddled mush of a mess. I realized yesterday afternoon I didn't even, couldn't even convince myself that I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> Something really big is going on here, and I don't know what it is. I'm sure it's been done before, and I'm sure it's being done in pulpits across the world as I speak this morning, but I just couldn't make it work. So I commend that to you. Obviously, I was convinced there was something going on there, but... Um, Yesterday afternoon, I had to come up with plan B, and plan B is Psalm 19. There are two parts of Psalm 19 that balance and resonate with each other, and I want you to at least be aware of them. Psalm 19, it's a beautiful exposition of what Sir Francis Bacon, the Reformation scientist, called the two books which God has written. Bacon wrote, he wrote it in Latin, but in English translation, God has, in fact, written two books, not just one. Of course, we are all familiar with the first book he wrote, namely Scripture, but he's written a second book called Creation. Bacon wasn't the first to use the analogy of two books. I think St. Augustine was the first, but it's probably the most important in shaping the rise of modern science to take God's creation as telling us as much about God as Scripture does, or at least as another source of information about God. But that's another, another lecture and no part of a sermon. What is part of a sermon is to point out how these two books authored by God, creation and scripture, are referenced in Psalm 19. The first part deals with the book of creation. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge, knowledge about God. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world. St. Paul says something very similar in Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes Namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. 
For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Both the psalmist and Paul agree that nature sings the song of God. But in the second half of Psalm 19, the psalmist turns to the second book, the scriptures, because we need a second book. In the first first book, the book of creation, the book of nature, we learn that God exists, that he is smart, that he designed this great universe, but we don't know much about him. We can guess based on our observation of nature. Things look like they pretty much are designed They work together in the physical universe. So that implies that there was someone who put together the universe. And whoever this is, we'll call him God, okay? God um, seems to be pretty smart. He seems to hate human beings. In fact, he seems to hate life itself. Because life is really, really hard. We can make guesses. Some of those guesses would be accurate. Some of them would be false. And how do we know which ones are false? And some of the ones that I gave you are false um, because we have the second book of Scripture. We need the second book. We need Scripture to learn that God loves us, that he has a plan to redeem us, that he has a plan to restore the entire universe to the way he designed it, that in fact life is hard because of our sins, but that there's a way out of our sins and that there is a savior. The first book, Creation, only tells us about law. It doesn't tell us about the gospel. Nearly all religions agree on basic moral points. And this has been pointed out over and over again. Nearly all religions, not all, but nearly all, say that murdering people is bad, that lying to people is bad. Nearly all religions teach us to be nice, to be kind, because these are basic things we can learn from nature itself. Life kind of goes better for you if you don't murder people, don't steal stuff, don't commit adultery, don't lie to people, be nice to people, be kind to people, then life pretty much goes on. Life gets better if everybody does those things. And that's just something that we can learn from the observation of nature. And I want to put in a good word for the law. Don't worry, I'll get to the gospel. The psalmist mentions God's laws, God's statutes, God's precepts, God's commands, and God's ordinances. All these words, laws, status, statutes, precepts, commands, ordinances, are are words for commandments. They're not words about advice. God doesn't give us advice. He tells us what what we and our society need to live, to live together. And the psalmist tells us what the law does for us. It revives the soul in verse 7. The book of nature is not able to revive the soul. If all you know is what you learn from the natural world, you'd be awfully depressed. But the Spirit of God, the Word of God, is able to restore and convert the soul. The Word of God makes wise the simple in verse 7 as well. Over and over again in Scripture, we're taught that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The recognition that there's something great and awesome out there that we can learn from looking at the natural world is the beginning of knowledge. 
just looking at nature, we want to start with ourselves. But the word of God tells us that there's a God out there who loves us, who is awesome. And that once you recognize that, you have the beginning of knowledge. And even simple people can be made wise. The word of God gives joy to the heart in verse 8. The word of God gives light to the eyes in verse 8. The word of God leads to righteousness and purity. But it gets better because in the fullness of time, God spoke the final word and the word became flesh. From John chapter 1, a familiar passage I hope to you. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The true word was made flesh. God spoke the final word. And what does this final word, Jesus, do for us? It revives our soul. Jesus revives our soul. Jesus restores and converts the souls of human beings. The incarnate word of God makes wise the simple. He gives us an example to follow. And recognizing that Jesus is Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Jesus gives joy to the heart. Jesus gives lights to the eye. And he leads us to righteousness and purity. In Jesus' name, amen.